You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. This story puts God on the side of these lost black lives. And and where we stand, whether in solidarity, uh, neutrality, even in opposition, it reveals where we stand in relation to the God of the Jesus story. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 368. Our title this week is Imagery of a Good Shepherd, and our reading, our lectionary reading, is from the Gospel of John. This is John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received of my my father. So our passage's focus is on the image of Jesus as a shepherd this week. And this was a popular image of Jesus before Western Christianity became fixated on crucifixes. Rebecca Ann Parker and Rita Kamisha Brock, uh, they write in the prologue of, of their groundbreaking book, Saving Paradise, how Christianity traded love of the this world for crucifixion and empire, about how they saw early Christians use this imagery, this shepherd imagery, over and over. This is from their book, uh, uh, I'll put a reference to it in this week's Eastside. This is from their introduction. It says, it took Jesus a thousand years to die. Images of his corpse did not appear in churches until the 10th century. Why not? This question set us on a five-year pilgrimage that led to this book. Initially, we didn't believe it could be true. Surely the art historians were wrong. The crucified Christ was so was too important to Western Christianity. How could it be that the images of Jesus' suffering and death were absent from early churches. We had to see for ourselves and consider what this might mean. In July of 2002, we traveled to the Mediterranean in search of the dead body of Jesus. We began in Rome, descending from the blaze of the summer sun into the catacombs where the underground tunnels and tombs are carved into soft tufa rock. The earliest surviving Christian art is painted onto the plaster-lined walls of tombs or carved into marble 
marble sarcophagi as memorials to the interred. In the cool, dimly lit caverns, we saw a variety of biblical images. Many of them suggested rescue from danger. For example, Abraham and Isaac stood side by side in prayer with a ram bound next to them. Jonah, the recalcitrant prophet who was swallowed and coughed up by a sea monster, reclined peacefully beneath the shade of a vine. Daniel stood alive and and well between two pacified lions. Other images suggested baptism and healing, such as the Samaritan woman drawing water from a well, John the Baptist dousing Jesus depicted as a child, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus also appeared as a shepherd carrying a lamb on his shoulders like Orpheus. We could not find a dead Jesus, not even one. It was just as the angel had said to the woman, women looking for Jesus at the tomb, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, and he most certainly was not. Even today, when you do a simple, uh, just an image search uh, uh, for Jesus on Google, you'll get 10 or more images of Jesus on a cross for every single image you get of Jesus as a shepherd. Early Jesus followers had a very different focus. Their focus was not the the cross of Jesus, but a, a living Jesus whose resurrection overcame and reversed everything his crucifixion had accomplished. And if you want to go back and revisit that idea, I recommend um, the podcast, The Good News of Forceful Nonviolent Resurrection. But in this week's passage from John, the focus isn't the death of Jesus, but Jesus taking life back up again after his death. Even the purpose of Jesus laying down his life in this passage is only so that he might take it up again. The focus is not death, but taking hold of life or or resurrection. During this post-Easter season, remember that the cross interrupted Jesus's life-giving ministry and life-giving teachings. The powerful, the the propertied, the privileged, they intended Jesus's death to be permanent. They were trying to silence him. The cross was meant to silence his calls for social change. But the resurrection overturned that silencing. In the story, the resurrection doesn't conquer death with more death. It answers death with death reversing life. It answers death dealing injustice with life-giving justice. I love this statement by Elizabeth Johnson uh, that squarely defines uh, the act of Jesus's crucifixion as a, 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 a sin. And if it's a sin, then that crucifixion was contrary to the will of God. This is from Elizabeth Johnson, uh, She Who Is, and it's Kindle location 4183. Along with other forms of political and liberation theology, Feminist theology repudiates an interpretation of the death of Jesus as required by God in repayment for sin. Jesus' death was an act of violence brought about by threatened human men as sin 
and therefore against the will of a gracious God. What comes clear in the event, however, is not Jesus' necessary passive victimization divinely decreed as a penalty for sin, but rather a dialectic of disaster and powerful human love through which the gracious God of Jesus enters into solidarity with all those who suffer. The victory of love, both human and divine, that spends new life out of this desire is expressed in belief in the risen Christ. So the resurrection, remember, it overturns the unjust state-sanctioned violence and places divine solidarity on the side of Jesus and all others who have unjustly suffered violence at the hands of the state. Uh, Today, that divine solidarity includes uh, folks like Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, uh, Stephen Clark, uh, Brianna Taylor, uh, Tatiana Jefferson, Pamela Turner, Corin Gaines, Yvette Smith, Miriam Carey, Shelley Frey, uh, Darnisha Harris, uh, Melissa Williams, Chantel Davis, Rakia Boyd, uh, Ayana uh, Stanley Jones, T- uh, Tarika Wilson, Katherine Johnston, Kendra James, uh, Taisha Miller, George Floyd, Dante Wright, and as of this week, many, many more. This story that so many white Christians hold dear puts God on the side of these lost black lives. And, and where we stand, whether in solidarity, uh, neutrality, uh, playing the devil's advocate, Uh, indifference, or even in opposition, it reveals where we stand in relation to the God of the Jesus story. We are only with this God when we are with them. The resurrection places the God of the Jesus story squarely on the side of justice and in the midst of the state-murdered community. The symbol of resurrection sends a message of justice overcoming injustice, uh, love conquering hate, life overcoming death, and an unjust tomb not being able to hold justice back. Today, we need a new story of justice overcoming in the end. I don't believe that justice inevitably overcomes justice on its own. If the moral arc of the universe is to bend towards justice, We must choose to bend it that way. In the wake of the outcome of the trial this week of Derek Chauvin for George Floyd's murder, I have to question if we will bend the arc systemically towards justice. As we daily witness black lives still being cut down by police, we have a lot of work still to do. If things are going to change, we're going to have to choose to change them. And before we close, I want to offer one word of caution concerning our passage this week as well. I see the image of the shepherd in this passage held in contrast with the myth of redemptive suffering. Remember, the myth of redemptive suffering teaches that those who are abused and oppressed, it teaches them to be willing to suffer in order to change the heart or to redeem 
their oppressors. And as Brown and Parker rightly state in their essay, For God So Loved the World, this is page 16 of that essay, they write, the problem with this theology is that it asks people to suffer for the sake of helping evildoers see their evil ways. It puts concern for the evildoer ahead of concern for the victim of evil. It makes victims the servants of the evildoer's salvation. So there's a difference between the self-sacrifice of disempowered people and the self-sacrifice of empowered people for those they love. John's gospel is believed to be the latest that was written in our canon. And in John, Jesus has evolved in the storytelling into an incarnate cosmic figure, an empowered figure. The phrase, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That whole section of the passage indicates that John is placing Jesus in a position of empowerment, not disempowerment. In the synoptic gospels of of Matthew and Mark and Luke, the story is quite different. Jesus belongs to the community of the disempowered. His death is, an, again, an act of sanctioned state violence. His life is taken from him, and then his death is, is powerfully overturned in the symbol of the resurrection. It would be irresponsible and even dangerous to hold up the self-sacrifice of Jesus in John's version of this empowered Jesus, his version of the Jesus story, as an example to be followed by the community that Jesus belongs to in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is a disempowered person. Jesus, unlike Paul, is not even a Roman citizen. Howard Thurman, he explains this in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. This is page 34. Howard Thurman writes, Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He was not protected by the normal guarantees of citizenship, that quiet sense of security which comes from knowing that you belong and that the general climate of confidence which it inspires. If a Roman soldier pushed Jesus into a ditch, he could not appeal to Caesar. Remember, that's what Paul did. He would just be another Jew in the ditch, standing always beyond the reach of citizen security. He was perpetually exposed to all the arrows of of outrageous fortune, and there was only a gratuitous refuge, if any, within the state. So in the synoptics, Jesus is a non-citizen, a marginalized person who was in the end executed by the state for standing up to injustice. At minimum, we need to perceive the difference between the synoptics Jesus and John's Jesus. As a parent, I understand the imagery of John's gospel. I have sacrificed for my children throughout their lives, and I know what that kind of sacrifice feels like. And that kind of sacrifice is very different from asking survivors, the the abused, the oppressed, to sacrifice themselves to change the hearts and minds of their abusers or the laws and policies of unjust systems. However you interpret the the shepherd's willingness to lay down his life for his sheep as contrasted with the, the commitment level of a hired hand here in John, what we don't read in this passage is a sheep being willing to lay down their life to change the heart of an oppressive shepherd. The the self-sacrifice of victims and survivors, people whose self is already being sacrificed and whose humanity is already being denied, 
only causes further damage. Justice in this context would be achieved by taking hold of one's humanity, not sacrificing it. And that that leads me back to the overall point this week. Justice only wins in the end if we make it win. We are in need of new stories of justice overcoming in the end in our context today. And I believe we can create those stories with our choices here and now. When we choose to make justice ultimately win, when we take life back up again, not just in isolated occurrences, but systemically, we are determining whether our ancient, cherished stories of justice overcoming, whether those stories ring true or whether they're just merely desperate, wishful fairy tales. Heart Group application this week, we at Renewed Heart Ministries are continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. We're encouraging you, though, to stay virtually connected. There's a lot of different avenues out there through which you can do that. Um, And remember, when you do go out, uh, I think the U.S. right now is at a 26%. No, maybe that's my state of West Virginia. I'm not sure what the, the national average is. I know here in my state, we're only at a 26% vaccination rate. So remember to continue keeping a six-foot distance between you and others. Continue wearing your mask and, and continuing to wash your hands uh, to stop the spread of the virus. Again, we're almost there. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting closer and closer every day. And this is an also this is also a time, remember, where we can practice the resource sharing, the mutual aid that's found in our Jesus story. Make sure that others in your group have what they need during this time. So number 1 this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, how does focusing through the lens of a good shepherd rather than a substitutionary crucified Jesus impact your own Jesus following and your engagement with public social injustice? Contrast and discuss these two with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.